LA Metro Magazine podcast is here to bring you the entertaining, informative, and inspiring stories of the people who live, work, and play in the greater Lucent Auburn, Maine area. I'm your host, Colby Michaud. On this episode, we sit down with Shanna Cox, the president of the Lucent Auburn Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce. We talk about what it was like growing up on Mount Desert Island, what brought her to LA, and her new role as the chamber president. There's also some discussion about going off the grid later on, so be sure to stick around till the end. This is LA Metro Magazine Podcast, Episode 3. Hi, Shanna. Welcome to LA Metro Magazine Podcast. Hey, Colby. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, nice and sunny out today. It is. uh, Post-hurricane. Post-hurricane, yes. Well, weather, we got a bit back. (laughs) Though we didn't, we're not sure when this actually will air, so it could be a different hurricane by then. Yeah. Let's hope not. Oh, please. So um, you are currently the president of Lewiston Auburn Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce. I am. Such a mouthful. That's a lot of words to, to the say. The chamber. You have another way of saying, sort of like an official nickname, which is LA Metro Chamber. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We do. It's actually like an official branded. It's officially branded mm-hmm. as that. Yeah. Um, before we dive into what you do currently, can we go back in time and talk about where you came from, what you did growing well, up? And... Little baby Shannon. <laughs> yeah, she got exactly. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think it, I mean, every bit of my journey has informed who I am and how I kind of step through the world today, show up personally and professionally. So I love that question. Um, I grew up in a really small rural town in down East Maine. My family all hails from Mount Desert Island. And so we have kind of deep roots, like six generations back in the hospitality industry and in the fishing industry, you know, so many lobstermen. I grew up not enjoying lobster the way some people get like overdone on hot dogs. And so that's, that's a symbol of where I, where I come from. Um, so I grew up there and I was, I was out on my own pretty early. There was some things at home that put me kind of on my own independent path. And so by the time I was 16, I was, um, you know, legally my own guardian. I was working 40 hours a week, finishing school, put myself through college, went to Orono at University of Maine, did environmental management and policy with a focus in economics and, you know, kind of full circle a couple of years, 16 later, finally got my, my degree for real um, after kind of taking the, you know, white picket fence family route. Um, and that part of my life brought me into Southern Maine where I worked in the hospitality industry myself, did customer service and worked in restaurants. Um, and so that's kind of what brought me to the Lewiston Auburn area. I'd lived in and called a number of communities across Maine, rural and urban, north and south, home. And when I moved here, um, I was actually living in Mechanic Falls and working in town at Fuel Restaurant back in its kind mm-hmm. of opening and heyday um, and was, you know, commuting into Lewiston and Auburn. And so when I moved here, I, I got an apartment, looked at 26 different units before I found a place that I felt comfortable moving wow. my family into. Yeah, well, you know, I had um, two-year-old toddler twins and a newborn, mm. um, which is a, a whole lot of young baby at home. And so, you know, they, 
making sure that I felt like I could raise them in a home after I had been in a very traditional farmhouse, you know, quarter acre plot in Mechanic Falls. That's a hard thing to find in downtown Lewiston. And like so many people who pick Lewiston or Auburn as their home, the affordability is what drew me to this market. And so, you know, in that process, I really started to see the impact of kind of substandard housing conditions on our kind of lack of economic development and growth. And I would say that was a real turning point for me. So that was really what pulled a lot of my kind of lived experience forward into trying to focus on a career path that somehow impacted the place that my children were going to grow up in, the world that we were going to create for them, um, and this community, which was the first place I'd ever really felt like I was at home. You know, I think there's some really beautiful aspects of LA where you can really meaningfully connect with people, really meaningfully get to know people in a way that some other communities are just guarded. And so it's, you know, one of my favorite things to this day about this place. Um, and so that was kind of what put me in LA. And that was about 13 years ago now, believe it or not. Mm. And so um, that work kind of brought me into the intersections of our lead poisoning issue here, the you know, effect on public health, on education, how that contributes to generational poverty, how it delays or suppresses community and economic development. So I, you know, worked for a public health organization. I worked for a community action agency as a community developer and finally started my own business. And that was um, a little over six years ago. That was called Project Tipping Point. So yeah, that's, that's the full circle that brought me to this moment. Um, and I think positions me well in this role at the chamber because, you know, I've been in the hospitality industry. I've, you know, s served as a as an organizational support and coalition builder. I've owned my own business and grew my own business, um, and have spent a lot of time in kind of the intersection of education, health, economic, and community development. And that's that's my day to day here. <laughs> that's what we do. Absolutely. And so you're relatively new to the chamber. Um, how long has it been? Well, so I started in October of 2019. Um, so I'm still in my first year. And, you know, for folks who spend time in L.A., um, I'm not the first president recently. You know, I'm the, I'm the third since a legacy leader who had been here for 20-plus years, you know, the infamous Chip Morrison. Yes. And so, um, you know, so I entered at a time where our members had, I think, gotten a little used to some inconsistency. And so, you know, there's an aspect of which it's going to be hard for me to prove to folks that, that I'm here and that I'm here for the long run until I've spent some time in the role. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking forward to the two-year mark where I can be like, no, no, see, look, we're, we're here for it. But um, yeah, that was part of what I came into and what I had to kind of address and support our members in. And, and that's been a fun challenge. So what's it, what attracted you to this role? Um, that's a great question. I think the ability to use all of the skills in my tool bag that, you know, sometimes you enter into a role and there's pieces that you like hope you get called on to use someday. And this one, I, I get to flex every single muscle every single day. This is a position like none other I've encountered or held in my life. Um, and people had told me that and it's true. You can't understand it until you run a chamber. It's, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting role. More importantly, the opportunity to have impact at a regional level is something that comes inherent with this work, our members, the work that we do and our mission. And, you know, I'm still trying to wake up every day and make the world a better place for the kids that I'm raising. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that was the draw. 
And so what does, what does impact mean to you and how do you, how do you measure that? Yeah. Well, so there's a whole field of study on impact evaluation. And I'm sure that's not the question that you're asking. I'll bore your, bore your <laughs> listeners. If I do that. Um, I think, I think in the context of this role and in what drives me like a, at a base level, I want to make sure that this place Lewiston, Auburn, this region, Maine, is a place where, you know, my children hopefully choose to get educated in. If they go elsewhere for their education, that there are things that attract them back to this area so that they have a good quality of life, that there's things for them to do, that they're exposed to different cultures and different experiences within this community, and that they can have a job that gives them some type of purpose and some type of sustainability that allows them to have a good life. Isn't that what all parents want? Isn't that what you want for yourself, right? And so that's what I'm trying to do. That's, that's, for me, that's what impact looks like. You know, there's a number of metrics around decreased poverty, increased graduation rates, you know, better kind of turnaround for hiring, fuller, you know, hiring levels at our employers who a lot of them are having a hard time filling positions right now. And in a community where we have really high poverty rates that um, there's a lot of very valid reasons that that's the case, but it feels like the opportunity that we're trying to address through the Strength in LA effort. Right. You know, it's interesting. I think here in Lewis and Auburn, we're uniquely situated because we we operate as one community, but we're two cities yeah. with many surrounding uh, towns. How does that affect, you know, what kind of challenges and what are some of the, the strengths of that? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, the history of the difference between Lewiston and Auburn is something that I spent some time kind of delving into. And, you know, it's rooted deeply and long ago, not just in the story of immigration, but in the story of the mills, the story of our kind of beginning economy. And we were situated in a place where the people who ran the mills, the people who were kind of highest position, highest paid, lived in Auburn. And the folks who worked in the mills um, often walked to work and lived in Lewiston. And so the disparity from an economic, from an education, from a workforce level, you know, it's a that's a generational story um, and one that many people here can tell and far better than I can it's you know I, I didn't grow up here it's not my history but the history is intriguing for sure um, and so when you think about what that means today it means that you know each community has different values that sets different priorities that relates to the way they advocate for and elect their official leaders who create the policies and the spending and the tax rates in each community and so there's a number of ways where there will always be difference um, i think you know you heard a resounding vote on that when there was the 1LA vote a number of years ago and you know at the time i wasn't in this role obviously but the chamber did come out and take a position on that and from what i understand and i have been told this story many times by many of our members as I've learned this role, it wasn't popular that we took a position and the position that we took wasn't popular. So that was kind of two really clear points <laughs> in our history that I have to live with. But realistically, what you heard from both communities is we like that we're individual and we are happy to collaborate and look for the areas in which right. it makes sense, but we always want that to be a choice. Um, and likewise, you know, as you look at the region that we serve, you know, not that long ago, 2015, 2014, we were the Androscoggin County Chamber of Commerce. Mm -hmm. We still absolutely serve all of the businesses in these communities in a number of regards, um, members or not. And there's a lot of ways in which we do reach and impact the communities and businesses who are not members, right? right. So um, when we called ourselves LA Metro Chamber or Lewiston Auburn Metropolitan Chamber, 
a lot of those rural towns didn't self-identify with metropolitan regional address. Um, and so that's something that, you know, that's, that's part of the messaging that I take and try to be really thoughtful about the way we're inclusive because some, some of our members who are the most active, who are great assets to this community from an attraction and retention standpoint are not in Lewiston and Auburn. Hmm. Yeah. And you, you had just mentioned how it used to be called Androscoggin County Chamber of Commerce. Mm -hmm. And um, just a few years ago, maybe, what, four or five years ago, it was rebranded to Lewis and Auburn Metro. I think it was 2015, late 2015, 2015 that yeah. we rebranded. <clears throat> and I remember back then uh, there was a, it was the annual dinner. It was the, the sort of the unveiling Premier of that. Event. Yeah. Yes. It was a wonderful night. And... Uh, gift bags were given obviously to everybody that came and in that gift bag was uh, mugs. They're just like one of these that we see here. One side it says the the logo, the Lewiston Auburn Metropolitan Chamber. On the other side, three words, build, lead, thrive. Yeah. And I, I can imagine those are kind of like uh, beacons of, you know, how to how to guide the efforts of the chamber. Can you expand upon those, those totally. words? Totally. It's... um. It's interesting because when I arrived, uh, that was part of the branding that resonated with me when I was a member before I worked in this role um, and certainly part of the draw that I felt there was opportunity to expand upon what we do and what value that brings to our members and to the communities we serve. And the more time that I spent here, the more I realized that those were aspects of our values at the core, as well as our branding that were under leveraged. Um, and so, yeah, I think every single day, my team and I are using Build, Lead and Thrive as a way to, to focus on and, and filter out what are our priorities. You know, we have a hardworking small team of really great professionals and they're, they're at it every single day and stretching themselves. And we're a small team, <laughs> hardworking individuals. And so how do we make all the time work? And so there are some things that, you know, might have been traditionally expected of a chamber of commerce in general, and that our members might have been, and I like to say this, trained by us to expect, but not necessarily demand, that aren't actually valued and don't contribute to or are not embodied by Build, Lead, and Thrive. And those are the things we dedicate less time to now. So mm. for us, you know, building community and building the local economy me as a core driver, um, leading within those efforts and ensuring that our region leads in the state is a core driver of our efforts. And then ensuring that the communities we in thrive. If our residents aren't enjoying where they live, they move and you lose dollars. If they aren't able to make a meaningful wage for whatever reason, they're not spending their dollars in your business, in your restaurant, at your location. And so, you know, we truly are going to be stronger as a local economy if our community thrives as well. And so those are the three ways in which we kind of look at things. And it's funny, when I arrived, I got, um, and I don't know how this dialogue really got started, but I would get this, this one question all the time. I got it in the interview process, and then I got it at almost every interaction for, I would say, I don't know, the first four months that I was here. And people would say to me, are you going to be a chamber of community or a chamber of business? And I would turn my head and I would say, yes, yes. and a chamber of economic development, right? Because we have three pillars, the, right. you know, the economic development, the community development, and the business development. And you can't, it's like a spider web. You can't like pull one of those threads and not shake the rest, right? And so 
Oh, I always love that question. Yeah, yes. they all work together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I, I, I don't... So Strength in LA is our core workforce effort, right? And this is a yeah. collaborative effort with kind of workforce development, training, education, recruitment, um, upskilling, and barrier removal. And, and when I look at my members and they say, well, why are you doing that? I say, I'm trying to help you reduce the cost that you spend in recruiting and training your personnel and to ensure that you have the workforce you need to be successful. Easy answer, it's a business support, right? There are other folks who will say to me, well, why are you doing that? And they might be grounded in a nonprofit or, or an organization and community. And my answer is, well, to the extent that we can ensure folks here have access to and barriers removed from their ability to have meaningful employment, the better it is for the, the poverty level, for the education level, and for the income levels in our community. And the more disposable income is, the, the better. So we want to make sure people are, are thriving and surviving. I've done both. That's both business and community, and ideally, at scale, economic, regionally. Right. So, yeah, it's a false dichotomy. I don't buy into it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been almost a year for you here. Has there any, anything that surprised you thus far? Aside from the pandemic. <laughs> yes. We'll get into that. I searched my desk, and there was not a pandemic manual in there anywhere. No surprise. Yeah, no, so that was a surprise. Um, you know, I had my own notions, I think, and I had certainly heard others' perceptions of what a chamber is and what it does or what it doesn't do, I think, was oftentimes how it was actually framed. And it is surprising to know the whole of what we do. So I've helped people find their baptism records and they live in Florida and they were baptized at a church that's in a diocese that's still represented in our region, but at a church that's been closed for 20 years. And we got them that. Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. We give regular updates on when the fireworks are going to be, for example. Like we don't have a convention and visitors bureau in Lewiston and Auburn. Um, so we're, we're everything. We're the first place that folks stop to think of a business that closed years ago and who's the person who worked in that business and what business might they be at now? How could I find them? But we're also the location of why you would want to come here, what your student can do while they're here, why you would want to have a business here. You'd be surprised at how many personal tours we give of people who are thinking to relocate businesses here, or open up a second location here. Um, we do a foreign trade zone, which is the ability to ensure that you can put together a new product with existing pieces that are manufactured outside of the United States. You're, you're putting it together here and you can, you know, have some cost savings based on being in a particular foreign trade zone and going through this program. And so there's a lot that we, I mean, I'm surprised by the sheer scope and breadth of what we do almost every day. Right. It still amazes me. And I know the only thing I know for certain now is I have no idea what I don't know and will continue to learn for the next 10 years. Yeah. And all of that in, in addition to serving the membership. Oh, I mean, that's at the core of it. That's, so, I mean, that's, that part was expected. Yeah. I didn't know that that's what it would look like. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your new membership model? Yeah. So, um, back in the day, and I would say this is actually still true for most chambers, particularly in the Northeast, we were kind of on the front end of this, but you know, it used to be that you would tell us how many employees you have and we would send you an invoice. 
And regardless of how many employees you had, you'd get the same benefits. And if you had a lot of employees, you paid more. And if you grew, congratulations, here's a higher bill, um, which is really hard when you're trying to grow businesses and grow the local economy, right? Like it just kind of didn't mesh with the core values that we had. There aren't a lot of other models or examples to work from. And so we created a tiered membership model. And the first thing we introduced was choice. Back to your surprise question, turns out not everybody loves choice. That was an interesting surprise and learning lesson for us. Um, but what we saw was that some people really feel strongly about going to every breakfast and that they'll never engage in these other benefits. Some people want the marketing opportunities that come with sponsorship of our events. Some people really don't care about that. Some people do it because they know that we're stronger as a community and advocacy and having a unified voice as a, as a local region and as a business community is the most important and don't actually partake in any of the kind of harder benefits that we have. And so what this essentially allowed folks to do was to pick the benefit that they wanted and how that um, kind of related to an affordable price. And so it allowed us to be more accessible to startups, to younger professionals, to independent professionals, to micro and small businesses. You know, you can have a corner mom and pop store that has 25 employees. And it, I mean, it's a small convenience store, but that's like the two people at the butcher table, the four people in the kitchen and the, you know, rotating two people at the front end, they would have a bill that they couldn't afford that they work on a very small margin. Um, so what does that mean for them? So we've done that. And I think that's been really exciting the way that's been received. We introduced a startup and entrepreneurial one that comes with very specific benefits to supports that startups and entrepreneurs need that you don't need if you're an established business. Um, so that's been exciting, but I think maybe the most fun part of that is our regional strengthener levels. And those are, we, and we do recognize and wanted to recognize that some businesses and some members believe in their civic duty and their, their way in which they show up as a, you know, community member as a business. And this really created three tiers that have a higher investment level attached to them, but also a higher level of civic commitment. Um, and so those regional strengtheners, there are our leaders, our champions and our partners. And then we also have community builders get a specific set of benefits that weren't there a year ago and that, um, and, and are currently being adapted to the pandemic. So we're actually launching, um, the start of a resilience and recovery plan effort that will help put kind of actionable items in place that see our way through this pandemic and allow us to start recovering our economy, not when it's over, because I think that's an unrealistic timeline and expectation, but now what are the steps we can take now? And there's good news on that front. Yeah. And, you know, back in, uh, you know, early April through May, mm -hmm. you know, the talk was when are we getting back to normal? Yeah. There is no going back. It's, this is the new way and we just have to figure it out kind of thing. And how much of your efforts recently have been focused on dealing with COVID-19? Oh, it's such a great question. I mean, it's the day the world stopped, right? And so for us um, in particular, <clears throat> boy, we won't ever forget it because it's a breakfast day. And so breakfast is one of our biggest and kind of regular events. And we had sent an employee to a breakfast at the Portland Chamber the day before, and there, um, you know, they were using gloves. There, they weren't, you know, they changed the way they did food service. They they made a, a bunch of changes, and this is before it really broke, like before the news broke, before we had cases. I mean, but we knew it was in the U.S. We knew it was a growing issue. People were getting worried. They weren't. It was a matter of like when, right? And. We had our breakfast that morning. We put a bunch of those precautions in, in place. We, you know, had served buffet. We had hand sanitizer stations. And this was before there was guidance. We're like, we, 
we were doing the best we could with our venue partners. And we left breakfast and I went to the dentist and I got three urgent phone calls on my phone with a numbed mouth and was going to take the rest of the day off and came back to the office and walked my staff through how we were going to close the office and work remotely until further notice because the first case had been named and in Androscoggin County. So we were terrified, right? right. And then you couldn't, you right. know, we couldn't feel better for two weeks later until we were like, okay, this was not a cluster, can't be traced to us. There were, none of our people are sick. But I mean, and that's, most of my members are taking on that risk every single day right now, yeah. right? They, we all kind of live in that fear of, you know, what, what could come back to us and, and, and will my employees be safe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we've done everything different <laughs> since the pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think the things people most associate with a chamber are social networking, the events, the opportunity to connect in person. That's a big piece of what we do. And that has complained completely changed. And without notice, my workforce is staggered and working remotely and coming into the office and, in, in you know, different pieces now. Um, our breakfast is now a virtual event and we, which one of the things I actually love about that is we deliver breakfast bags. So if you'd ever come to our breakfast before you get a bag and it has some promotional materials from our sponsors and some goodies and some information in it. And so we've actually been delivering those directly to offices. So a lot of folks are back in the office, which they weren't for a couple months. A lot of folks are back in their office, but not going to events. So we'll actually see a couple of like colleagues in masks at the conference room table on our, in our breakfast meetings. Um, but folks get a pot of coffee to brew at home. Um, thanks to side by each. They get a a breakfast cookie and then they get some of these materials. They can still win a door prize. We encourage them to private chat each other and we've found ways to navigate what networking looks like in this new normal. One quick plug for LA Metro Magazine's sister publication, Uncle Andy's Digest. Yeah. Because if I recall correctly, Uncle Andy's is actually a regional champion. Yes. Um, and you, you probably know you are too. It's LA Metro. It is both. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you, you probably know more than I do about this, but you, every gift bag has an issue of Uncle Andy's Digest. There's a chance for somebody <laughs> to win something, right? Yes. So we send home tickets and everyone can win a door prize. But in addition to that, you have the Uncle Andy's Digest and we hide, Uncle Andy's staff does actually, hides a sticker inside on one ad in one page. Yeah. And whoever gets that sticker and finds it and identifies it during the course of breakfast wins a gift, usually a gift certificate or something from one of the businesses who advertise with Uncle Andy's. So what that means operationally on our end. I cannot tell you the nightmares that we have about this. <laughs> Katie, big shout out to Katie Palmer who deals with this stress at yeah. a level higher than anyone else. But um, we don't, like, I'm not going to say here's the heart sticker and I'm putting it in Colby's bag and Colby's going to win. We're not going to do that. Um, yeah. You know, integrity matters to us here. So how do you randomize the distribution of these magazines in these bags to everyone who's joining in a way that's not favorable and in a way that ensures that it's not the one bag that nobody picked exactly. up that's here at the office. Exactly. Yeah, we get stressed about it. We put them, um, we're very strategic. I won't tell you all of our secrets, okay. but we spend a lot of time making sure we don't know where it is, but that we do know it got out. Yeah. And I'll say, so we'll like show up with four bags to a business that have four people attending and we'll hand over the bags and be like, if you go home and join virtually from your home tomorrow, you have to take this bag with you <laughs> and you have to pull out the magazine. You have to look for the sticker, promise us. Because that's, you know, we had one month where the magazine went out and we didn't know who won. And we're pretty sure that it was like one of a handful of folks who, you know, 
you dropped it off at the office, but they decided not mm. to go into the office. And they were like, oh, it's, it's no big deal. I'll read the magazine later. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you're missing a chance yeah, to win. No, it terrifies us. It terrifies yeah, no one us. will ever know. That's <laughs> no. a, yeah, that's we, I, we, we did some recon afterwards <laughs> trying to figure out where it was. Yes. And so the prize, I, I actually think it's this month, it's going to be Roy's Foodland. Oh, nice. Yeah, They're so great. They are. That's a great really little store. He's I actually fantastic. really love their uh, chicken salad. Oh, yeah. I'll have to try that. We did a we did a, a post on Uncle Andy's a few weeks ago um, about Roy's Foodland. They're one of the advertisers, and um, said something about how Roy's is the, has the best chicken salad in town, and everyone com- commented and agreed with us. Oh so, yeah. yeah, no, it's, totally. It's a My kids used to be at um, the Boys and Girls Club right around yeah. the corner. That was one of the ways that I like, you know, made it through and. Uh, and I would stop there and get some stuff from their butcher counter. And yeah, the many a nights I like figured out a meal last minute, thanks to Roy's. The production of this podcast would not be possible without the support of our community partners. One of those just happens to be our sister publication, Uncle Andy's Digest. Uncle Andy's Digest has been woven into the fabric of the greater Lewiston-Auburn community over the last 25 years by providing its readers with humorous one-liners, short stories, and most importantly, positivity. Fun fact, in August of 1996, the first edition of the Digest was printed. That means you can help celebrate 25 years of Uncle Andy's with this month's special 25th anniversary edition. One thing that surprises people to learn is that Uncle Andy's is distributed to 19 cities and towns in the central Maine area. That means whether you're in Sabattis, Auburn, Turner, or Oxford Hills, you can pick up a copy, or two if you're a good neighbor. So if you're a local business that wants more exposure and top of mind awareness, make sure you check out Uncle Andy's Digest. Why not get more exposure for your business while spreading smiles at the same time? Those that do simply say, it works. So I, I can imagine, like, with most of us, we've all done plenty of virtual Zoom meetings at this point. Oh, yeah. And you're doing breakfast, and, you know, you've got a lot of attendees. Yeah. What's what's that like? Have What have you learned from that experience? Um, people thirst for connecting where they can see you. You know, calls are not, are not a good supplement. Um, People are dying to know how you're doing it, whatever it is. How are you connecting with your employees? How are you managing remote? How are you doing your time cards in this way? Like people are just trying to figure out like, what are you doing? What's working for you? Here's the problem I have. And, and because of the nature of how quickly we moved to a virtual environment, which mm-hmm. is a huge uptick on that. Like, I mean, and you had people of all generations of all different skill levels, learning new software, buying in many cases, new hardware for home environments oh, yeah. and learning how to use it like that. Um, and so that was, you know, we saw that across the board. I have five generations within my office. So we saw that happening here. And what's really interesting is we used it to work within our own environments. Occasionally you would work it, you know, for a business partner or a, a, you know, a collaborative endeavor of any sort, you would zoom with somebody outside of your business, but by and large, the opportunity that you have at any type of, you know, chamber event where you like meet and you talk around the coffee table or you get a cocktail and you chat and you, how are things 
that was gone. We don't build that time into Zoom meetings. You know, we don't, there's no like, I arrived 10 minutes early and so we'll chit chat. That's gone. And most of us have Zoom meetings that are like 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. There is no room for that in the way we are managing this virtual world. And they thirst for the ability to just like shoot the shit with somebody. <laughs> and so, you know, we always let folks know that we're opening the Zoom room up early for an event. We give that space, like just, just, hey, How's it going? I actually created membership and advocacy calls for that, for that specific need is there's a need to connect with others in your sector and problem solve together, share what's working for you, name what your conundrum is and invite others to, to solve it. And it helps me and my staff see the trends and the themes across these different sectors. And that's already informing the planning effort. It's already informing our advocacy priorities. It enables me and gives me the information and like real time data to give feedback to elected officials who reach out and ask for input on, you know, we're trying to develop a new program, what's helpful, which by the way, like enough with the loans, we just put out our own loan program. So loans have its place and it's important, but like we're not gonna recover this economy on debt. And business owners are really worried about that. And I wouldn't be able to say that as clearly and without this level of confidence if we didn't have those kind of direct connections with members. And so, yeah, I think that's been, it's a, when was, I mean, if you, so I regularly sit at my desk and do six out of 10 hours a day of Zoom calls all the time, all the time, if not more. And um, if you were doing that kind of a day in a, you know, pre-COVID environment. I don't know. You probably got in your car twice. You definitely walked down the hall to the conference room. There's no time for a bathroom break in our new virtual world. That's a surprise. (laughs) That's a surprise. Like, how do you manage that? And so, yeah, a lot of adjustments. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'll continue to adjust. Yeah. 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 I hope we find, I mean, I love and appreciate that we kind of collectively have found new efficiencies mm. and, and those pieces, but we need to retain aspects of our humanity, humanity and create space for that. That's where creativity happens and that's where innovation happens. And we've never needed that more than we do right now. And so we have to be intentional about creating space for it because all the ways it showed up before happened without intentionality and in the way we conducted business and life. And we have to make space for that now. We have to be intentional about that now. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty creative person, I would say. And yeah, um, I've seen your work. <laughs> I, uh, sometimes it's actually better to have those constraints to, to form what yeah. you're making. And, um, it also can, you know, create things that you never thought was were possible. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, there's you know, two sides to every coin. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what is it? Mother is necessity is the mother of all invention. Right. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. Feel free to correct us. Um, And so, you know, we've never had more things be more necessary than Mm. we do right now. If you go into just a variety of stores, you can see the way that like shower curtains and plexiglass and physical changes to the environment are popping up. Yeah. Yeah, And you you mentioned, you know, one of the things that Chamber is really known for is the networking aspect and the breakfasts and the after hours. Mm -hmm. I always enjoyed those. Thanks. You know, I, I, that's that's something that I, you know, well, you know, owning a small business for ten years, you kind of forced to. I when I was growing up as a kid, I was very yeah. shy. I was, but when you're forced into an environment like that, you sort of you grow into it, and um, ended up 
loving this, the socializing aspect of it. And with, um, with coronavirus, it showed me like how much I actually need it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so that's something that I'll look forward to. Yeah. I mean, business going back to that and businesses depend on it. You know, I was, it's all about relationships. I was talking to a member today and that's the way in which you know what other people are facing where all of a sudden you're not, you know, Acme Corp or whatever you, you suddenly become a relatable mother or parent Mm -hmm. or a child who's caring for an elder parent. And that's the way in which you talk about, you know, which senior living facilities matter to you. I mean, it becomes a place in which neither one of you have to be a representative of that third business, but that third business is in the same space. And that is how, you know, it's, it's not transactional. It's a culture that gets built that creates strong relationships and good referrals and grows business. And that's something I didn't fully understand before I was in this role. Like you, I didn't, I didn't leverage that until I knew, knew better. Right. And, and, and had to out of necessity in this role, but yeah, we're already looking for ways to do that. We've done a fun after five series, um, which I think you were at the for first uplift, one uplift yeah, LA. for yeah. uplift LA and, um, recognizing that our younger demographics a little more willing to get out right now. We mm. continuously look for feedback and, and, you know, pull folks about what they're ready for and when they'll be ready for it. But I would say willing and eager. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we, um, we see this interesting trend that is, um, great in the moment and concerning for winter around a lot of folks are just not ready to go inside. And what we know about the virus is that's, that's probably makes sense for a whole lot of reasons, depending on your own background. Um, so, you know, outside is preferred in person is preferred. Virtual is required because there are going to be people who for their own health reasons, aren't able to do that, even if they want to. Mm -hmm. Um, and then inside is kind of like a last choice. And so that's cool. Midsummer, early fall in Maine, but early fall. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, not so cool in November and December. Yeah. And so we're actually trying to get ahead of that with, um, with some work with some other chambers and some of our members in the hospitality business. A lot of the ways that, um, events, bars and restaurants have survived mm-hmm. this ever changing fluid list of guidelines that, that direct what they work and gets updated on when we have more science. Um, has been by leveraging outdoor environments. And, and I would say that's true for us too here at the chamber. And so what does it look like to make physical adaptations inside or outside? Like, yeah. I don't know. Can you picture the cool like ice bar days oh, yeah. and heaters being like an everyday piece of how you wait to get into the grocery store or enjoy your bar like every weekend? Because yeah. um, maybe that's our future. You know, going back to the the whole creative, you know, constraints mm. around that and, we obviously live in a, a state that has <laughs> limits our outdoor time. I would oh, say. Maine. Um, Short so growing season. Maybe, maybe we'll see uh, an after hours someday that's in January, but it's still outside. We have heaters and instead of beer and wine, it's hot chocolate and coffee or something. Totally. Like we'll see. I think you might People just, in parkas and... I think you might have just planned what January could look like. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I think yeah. one of the things Making that... Making snowmen. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, um, you know, uh, 
Congress is still trying to figure out, um, and it doesn't matter when you're listening to this, because I'm sure it's still true. <laughs> Congress is still trying to figure out um, liability and risk, right, as it relates to to businesses and um, through the lens of employers, but also through the lens of like customer safety and public safety. And one of the things that we've seen is really interesting is our business after our hosts. Um, some of our businesses who like to, you know, receive some marketing benefits through sponsoring events with us absolutely won't touch an event. Absolutely won't touch an event because you just don't know, you know, that three weeks after the event's held that like CDC, we're Dr. Shaw's two o'clock broadcast about a new cluster outbreak. Right. No one wants to be that. Nope. No one wants to be the, the business name sponsored and associated with that. And so that's been, that's had a significant impact. And so... I don't know the extent to which our um, ability to share and shoulder risk as a society will allow for us to shift back into those kind of habits that we liked, even adapted ones. We're we are watching for that moment, though, because we, you know, we miss it, too. We really do miss it, too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more we could talk about. I know. We could chat all day. We could. <laughs> but if you were, <clears throat> let's take off the president hat for now. Great. Can you briefly talk about, because you've been in the Lewis and Auburn area for a while now. Yeah. What do you like to do for fun? Oh, I'm a bit of a foodie, so I like to dine. And so that killed me. And I, um, yeah. you know, we helped folks sustain on takeout and are, are doing some outdoor dining these days. Um, I like to garden. So I, I keep my own garden, and we just um, <clears throat> we bought a foreclosed upon 1912 Craftsman and renovated it and moved in during the pandemic when it was hard to get things at or get into home improvement stores. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of a wild ride. So I would love to say I love fixing up old homes, but I don't think that's currently on the list, <laughs> although it is what I do in my free time. Um, but I like gardening. Uh, I love camping. That's my favorite. You know, I live a very, very connected lifestyle, very connected lifestyle, you know, number of devices. It's just, it's how, it's my work and it's what I do. And, and I'm a pretty responsive and caring person. And so unless I physically can't respond to you, I will. So my friends, my kids and I, and sometimes my girlfriends and I, um, we go off the grid. We go camping and power everything down and sit around campfires and float in water and hike and... Cut the cord. Yeah. You have to so, do that sometimes. Uh, well, and it's such an important lesson to teach my kids that that's yeah. possible and that it's necessary and that, you know, my kids know what a circadian rhythm is now, so that's cool. Um, and we reset it every once in a while, yeah. which is important. So those are a big bit of what we do. Um, theater and the arts, I miss them right now. Yeah. and. I'm really, you know, I'm really concerned about that sector in our community. It's a huge part of what makes our community great. And it's going to be really hard for them to sustain. You know, most of them are nonprofits. Most of them count on fundraising and ticket sales and fees. And, you know, they essentially, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they love the, the in-person live component. And so the ones that I've talked to, have been reticent to switch to a virtual or broadcasted platform. And I really hope we find ways around that, um, both for the audience understanding it's going to be different. And that's the only way that you'll ever get a live performance again is that you suck it up and, and, and tune in for a little bit so that they're still there and there's still a place to go when we can return to live performances. Um, I think that's going to be really important us as, as, you know, arts enthusiasts and culture, you know, enjoyers need to, need to be prepared for changing our expectations right. and finding ways to support them. 
because that's some of what I really love to do. I like musicals. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't get me started on musicals. Like, I love a good yeah. musical. I actually do break into song during regular day-to-day chores. Yeah. And so, no, Broadway could actually be real life. I'm so, a total believer. This isn't a plug for, for me at all, but I just it's relevant to what you just said because I have already written, uh, I co-wrote a, a full two-act musical. No. Over the past winter. Ooh. Without, obviously we didn't know COVID was going to happen and we had plans to put it on stage this summer. Obviously we didn't. Um, and since then, because of the pandemic, I've written uh, a short musical. You have which, been creative lately. That's exciting. Which is, um, is uh, leading to what looks like a, another business that I'll be launching for musical theater. That's fantastic. But we're, we're obviously looking at it from like more of a virtual yeah. perspective right now. But I think there's a demand for that. I don't know about you, is. but I tuned in when Hamilton went on Disney Plus. Oh my gosh, I've watched it's it like so six good. times. <laughs> it's so good. I was my like, go, uh, go, go, go watch it, guys. It's yeah. good for you. Um, yeah, and I enjoyed it. I mean, was it the same as when I sit in a, in a theater? No, but... There was so much about it I enjoyed, and I didn't realize how much I had been thirsting for it yeah. until I watched it. And so, like, yeah, we got to make that that switch and that adaptation as a society quick, quick. Yeah, art is very important. Yeah, just to just to life. I one of the it's, first it's things. One of I, the things that makes us human. Well, one of the first things I did here in our physical environment when moving in was brought in a ton of yes. art. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have our fair shares of file folders and conference phones and still meet your expectation for what a business-oriented environment looks like when you come in. But we have art. We have photo- photography and paintings. And, you know, it's, it's so it keeps you whole and well-rounded. And mm. the creative side of our brain is the same side that helps us problem solve and be innovative within our, our business brain. And so... Yeah, it, I look at it as a way we, we can express ourselves we can send a message mm-hmm. when when words sometimes don't cut it yeah. yeah i took up watercolor because i felt pretty flat on that edge yeah. and yeah and um and enjoy it and can get lost i had a really hard time meditating my brain is one that kind of mm-hmm. works at a pretty pretty regular high speed um and has a hard time shutting off and yeah me too and i couldn't meditate i couldn't i tried all the types of ways to meditate and um digging into a watercoloring yeah. I could like finally just free myself and, and, and oftentimes I come out of those sessions like with the ability to solve a problem that I've been stuck with for a couple of weeks or, or longer. I'm like, ah, oh, that's right. This is such a necessary part of how we're yeah. whole and human and, and excel in the other areas that might feel more comfortable or familiar. Yeah. I think one of, one of the ways I try to meditate is just by sitting down at the piano and uh, not oh. with no intention, yeah. right? You just sit there and you just, kind of let it flow and touch the keys, touch the keys see what and see what happens. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not, but it's uh, always good. It's for always you. good for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. See, no, I think that's right. Um, I'm looking at the clock and I'm surprised like the time has flown by. I love this part. And, uh, I definitely want to be respectful of your time. So one final thing to ask you, oh, I'm so excited. Running an organization of any size is, mm-hmm. Um, challenging and can be stressful at times, Mm. but it also has a lot of rewards. It can be stressful at times, especially right now. Yeah. Where some mornings you wake up, you just want to continue to sleep in. Yeah. 
What's the thing that gets you out of bed every day? Ah, that's a good question. Um, it's not my alarm clock. <laughs> no. no, I really wish it was sometimes. No, it just keeps going off, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm really, I hit the snooze too much for my partner's liking. Um, I'll be really honest there. I, uh, I'll give you a really concrete answer. I, the last seven years, the home that I lived in had no windows in the kitchen. And my bedroom is opposite the kitchen in this house. And so um, in the morning, there is this amazing, stunning glow that hits the rectangle around the door to my bedroom. And it just calls me out of bed. And, and I open that door and it can be blinding. Some, like, cause my bedroom's really dark except for this like very thin strip of light. And when I open the door, it's, I mean, it's a full on sunrise in my kitchen every morning. And I haven't had that kind of interior light in my kitchen in so long. And I, and I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I love that. And so just the notion that there's like, something calling me that's brighter than the moment I'm in that's that's warm and welcoming is you know some days it's a very physical thing like oh it'll be warm in that room and other days it's you know kind of a metaphor for you, you got to come out of the dark step into the light and get stuff done like that's that's my nudge every day My thanks to Shanna for sharing her story and upbeat energy with us. Her vision and direction for the chamber will no doubt lead to bigger and better things for the LA metro region. We have many more exciting guests ahead in upcoming episodes, so make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your other shows. That way you're not missing out on future episodes when they are released. A big shout out and thank you to Uncle Andy's Digest for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more about them at uncleandys.com. We also want to thank you for listening. You, our audience, are the most important piece of this program. And we know that these recordings are just slices of a bigger ongoing conversation that we want you to be a part of. If you have any thoughts or ideas, please let us know on social media. LA Metro Magazine is on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Connect with us there. Positive vibes and well wishes from all of us at LA Metro Magazine. Until next time, I'm your host, Colby Michaud. Make sure you're being entertained, staying informed, and getting inspired.